dear evangelicals, the tools you gave me to combat problems, to make things right when they were wrong, to cure injustice or harm or danger or poverty, all of those tools, they were so backwards. I've gone into that so much. But now that I don't have those tools, now that I can't sow a seed of money to get three times the money, now that I can't pray the same way that I used to, thinking that God is going to do these miraculous things while I passively wait for him to do whatever he's going to do, while I put it all in his hands, as you would say, I don't do that anymore because that's not how the world works and life gets better in so many ways when you don't wait for some kind of magical thing. But at the same time, losing the ability to at least hope in those things, losing the ability to do those things, it means losing the feeling of control when life is really hard when people are doing chaotic or harmful things and and you realize I can't control them. Prayer doesn't control people. Now I do believe in prayer in a totally different way, a fundamentally drastically different way. I pray now for God to step in. I, I do think that he does that sometimes. I think that he's always working to do as much as we individually allow him, but also that it's more collective than individual. I believe that God, he's working to find openings in us, maybe, is a good way to picture it. That he's trying to bring light, to bring freedom, to to bless us, but not the way prosperity gospel preachers talk about blessing because obviously he doesn't heal every sickness if you're faithful. But in my chronic illnesses and in my children's chronic illnesses, he's given us not only the grace to endure, but he's also given us breakthroughs where sometimes the doctor will say, you know, there's this other practitioner and they're not here at our office, but they know a lot about this thing. Would you like me to refer you? And then something happens where that person knows a lot of things about our condition or a spot opens up months or years earlier than predicted when we're on a wait list and someone really desperately needs some kind of medical care, a diagnosis or a treatment. Sometimes the insurance company, as frustrating as it is, Sometimes something happens and I don't know if it's a glitch where they weren't really supposed to cover this thing that it says they don't cover or if someone consciously decided to cover it. I just take it, but I see God in that. But I know that there's other people who don't even believe in God at all and they have those same things happen if they get sick because it's part of life. It's how the, the system works. You get some wins and you get some losses. Some people seem to have more on one side than the other. Or sometimes the same person is in a season with more one than the other. But we all get wins and losses. We all get good and bad. We all get justice and injustice. Right? That's how it works. Anyway, I'm ranting because right now, 
two days before I'm supposed to finally get officially divorced. There's a wrench thrown in by my ex who wrote last night on Halloween of all nights, such a ghoulish thing to do, as I said to someone, a ghostly, cruel thing to do on a night when everybody's celebrating that kind of stuff. He had sent me a document two weeks ago. It said that not only do I have a very short time to refinance the house after the divorce is final, I had asked after talking to free legal aid people, I asked a couple of years ago when we started this process that I would have several years to refinance because as you guys know, he never let me work. The church culture wasn't conducive to women working, but a lot of women in our church did because they needed to or they enjoyed a career. And as long as their husbands were fine with it, it was seen as fine. But what did he do? Well, he always told me that if I worked, I would make such a mess of it. I would get my hopes up only to find out how stupid and um, unemployable I am. Or that I would ruin our finances by, I don't know, all sorts of things. He had a million different ways of explaining how it would make it worse for us if I worked. And we would be worse, uh, have worse money issues instead of better. And... I never really believed it, but I had to do what he said. Anyway, it's because of him that I have had so much financial insecurity because of the history of not working and trying to start in my 40s with a lot of kids to take care of. But then also all of the the impact that the church system had and that he directly had and the ways that he still sabotages things to cost me money. With all that in the background, instead of giving me a few years to refinance, to be able to get stable and and be able to carry a loan for a mortgage, he changed the papers. I filled out the divorce papers with everything that we had agreed on with a long time and it it did say that if I'm able sooner I will refinance as soon as I'm able and I just didn't want to be rushed into it because the kids and I need stable housing if nothing else (laughs) we're sick enough and stressed enough and dealing with so much instability in every part of life we need our housing stable and so I filled out the papers for the divorce I wish that I had served him papers and gotten a lawyer and all that kind of stuff, but I was too poor and too afraid of him, too afraid of the physical and mostly the, I don't know, the crafty, cruel, manipulative backlash that he could design if I tried that. So our stipulated divorce, where we handed in the papers at the desk of the courthouse, for months we talked about that one scenario. And after I filled out most of the papers and I sent them to him with my signature on them, the PDF was ready to go. I just needed him to to change the wording on a few things here and there to make sure that it was accurate. And he did, he signed them, 
he printed them because I don't have a printer. <laughs> we went and submitted them finally after, what was it? It was the end of 2020. I started trying to really, really get divorced. Like not just an idea, but looking at the legal system and looking at what we had to do. It was from the end of 2020 until March 2003 or 2023. He finally put the papers in after I had drawn them up multiple times, I think four times. And then they would get outdated and I would draw them up again when he said he was ready. Anyway, that last set when I got my copies back in the mail, the part about the house said that he was giving it to me and all the equity, but I only have two years to refinance. He changed it after I signed it, and I didn't know until last week that I could do anything legal about that. I have the proof. I have the one that I started But I guess my mind doesn't think that way about uh, the safety net, maybe, or the, the way that the court could help me to be protected. I just thought that he ruined it for me and that I only have two years. Now it's one and a half. <laughs> but in addition to that, he sent something two weeks ago when we were almost at our hearing the hearing that should have been last spring, because in Vermont, if it's a stipulated divorce, if you're not arguing about anything, I mean, on paper, everything is all set. There's no problem. Our custody and child support were already finalized in the court at that time, um, and they went through easily. The six-month waiting period for them to process the divorce it's contingent on you living apart and co-parenting successfully for six months. Well, we had already had a year, over a year, when we filed in March. But for some reason, they still put in the six-month waiting period. And when I asked them to waive it, they said they would. And then they gave, it, gave us a November date for our hearing. I waited the whole summer for a date in September, thinking that that was the latest it could be. And then finally in September, when every day I was thinking, maybe today they'll email that it's final. Maybe today I'll get a, an email saying that I'm divorced because that's what happened to my sister with her divorce. She put it all in and then they waited and waited and suddenly there was an email saying it was final. I got in a letter in the mail saying in November, they're going to do the hearing and finalize it. Just a 10-minute hearing. It's going to go through. It just feels like borrowed time. Like when you're pregnant and you go past your due date. And then all the, the hours, the days, the nights past the due date, it seems like each one is like a month long because you're just so done and you thought that the deadline would come by now. <laughs> And all of a sudden, you're just waiting and waiting. And even if people who aren't in that situation can say, hey, it's not that much longer, it feels like forever when you're the one who's still waiting. <laughs> That's what this feels like, waiting for November when it was supposed to be September at the absolute latest. 
And yet our daily life isn't going to change. I mean, he lives far away. It's not like I'm waiting for a certain thing, really. There's nothing I'm getting. He refused to do any kind of alimony or spousal maintenance. And I didn't have money to hire a lawyer to try to force it or get advice about that. So I felt like, well, I don't have any choice. I just want to be divorced. And he sent a paper two weeks ago saying that in addition to the two years to refinance, I also have to immediately list the house if I'm ever late on a mortgage payment. I have to list it and sell it and move it all of a sudden if I'm ever late. Now, if I'm late on a mortgage payment, that's going to mean that money is, you know, dried up that maybe our car broke down or something big happened where I just don't have it right now. Even though I've had a stable job for a month now and it seems like this job is going to work out, it doesn't trigger my long COVID issues. I actually feel healthier than I have in years. I have energy. I have life in me. I have um, just the neurological, the heart symptoms, all of it has settled down instead of getting worse with this job. And it pays enough. It's finally a job, unlike the receptionist jobs that I kept working that paid 15 an hour and they just didn't even pay enough for anything. I was constantly using social services to be able to pay for a car repair or the utility bills because I physically didn't make enough to cover our bills. Now I'm in a place where I make more than what our bills are. I can save a little every month. But regardless of that, I have a broken down car and I'm going to need a new one, but it keeps breaking every now and then. I have a broken refrigerator and a broken dryer and whatever else happens that's unpredictable. This job is good, but there's a lot of us depending on the money from it. And so I don't feel stable enough to sign that agreement. And when I refused, he didn't write back until Halloween, the week of the divorce, the Tuesday when the divorce is scheduled for Friday. And what did he say? He said he's going to ask the judge to postpone the divorce now because I'm not signing this paper. A paper that he hired a lawyer, I guess, to uh, draw up this thing that seems so unfair to the kids. Like if I take myself out of the picture, I cannot come up with a way where this is good for the kids. But my ex, he's saying that it's in their best interest for me to sign this. His emails back and forth on this thread with me, they're talking about how he's only doing this for the good of the kids. He's only doing this because they need financial stability. And I keep writing back saying, it seems like this would make our life too unstable. It would make our housing so precarious. And have you thought about the impact on your kids? If we have to suddenly move without any notice, we have to pack up and go through the stress of moving, which is hard enough, but then also try to find housing quickly. 
I think we'll be homeless because there's a really bad housing shortage right now. And the only rent that I could afford that's comparable to our mortgage would be a one bedroom, maybe a, a two for six of us, for three teenagers and two younger kids and me. I mean, that alone would just be devastating. And we would probably have to get rid of a lot of stuff, just take our stuff to the thrift store, sell it because we wouldn't be able to cram it all in. They would lose their personal things. Like I'm just, I'm thinking about it, all the trauma that that would be in a kid's life. That would be something they always look back and say, wow, I remember when we had to like sell everything and go live in a one bedroom with most of us sleeping in the living room. (laughs) I mean, that would be crazy. And then on top of it, I pointed out to him in my email, we would probably end up in another town because of the housing shortage. They would have to change schools when they're getting so much support from the schools. And that's actually their one stable thing in life. While he's scapegoating me, making them suspicious of me and and not trusting me, as I talked about with Ryan on the interview. He's made it so that they don't have good attachments to me or him. School is what their therapists are using as the stable, supportive, safe place, and it's really working. And this house thing, that would jeopardize school too. They would suddenly be plunged in somewhere else. I just, I can't even think of any way that this is good for them to have the possibility that if money gets tight, we have to move like that. But he keeps insisting. And now, today, I'm wondering, is he going to actually postpone our divorce? I don't understand why he's so set on sabotaging when he has already moved out, moved far away now. Everyone knows that we're getting divorced. It's not like he's trying to hide it from family. We left our old church. I don't think he cares what they think anymore. He came out as a gay person. He wanted to keep it a secret, but then he did relent a few weeks in when I kept saying, I can't carry that secret for the rest of my life. I need to be able to talk to people. And then if I talk to some people, I don't want to swear them to secrecy and make them carry it. So he relented, which actually was quite shocking. And people know that he's gay. It's not like that's on the line. Maybe I'm trying to understand something that cannot be understood, but the injustice and the emotional, I don't know what to call it, the emotional devastation, wondering, will I be divorced this week? Will I finally legally be free? Or is it going to go on? Is he going to do something worse? Am I going to get something in the in the mail or in my email today or tomorrow that ruins the whole thing? And I've seen him lie in our child support hearings many times. I've seen him lie in the custody hearings. He smiles. People believe him. He's charismatic. He always has an answer. Even if if I see him lying and then someone asks something or notices something that I think 
oh my gosh, it's all out. He was totally exposed. He, he keeps a smile on his face. It's like he doesn't even get startled. His blood pressure isn't affected. He just like goes right with it. And he says something else and totally gets rid of all their fears or questions. He's a pro, a master at deceiving people. In our last hearing to finalize the child support, he was so masterful at that. It was really the most I've ever seen him do. He started it off with a few things that then set in motion the clerk or caseworker, whoever it was, there wasn't a judge, the lady running the show, she thought that I was an unfit mother. He didn't even say it in those words, but during this thing, she yelled at me. She told me that I was faking my chronic illnesses. She told me that it was despicable that I wasn't working because I have a lot of children to take care of. She accused me of fraud, that I was using social services like food stamps and applying for disability. She actually said, if a judge were here, you could be in really hot water because they could demand to see medical records proving these alleged illnesses that you're making up. And I said, I could show you right now if you need. They're on my electronic <laughs> database from the doctor. I could show you letters. I could show you test results. <laughs> and she just rolled her eyes and huffed and said that anyone could make that up. Anyone could show them if they're like me. It was ridiculous. Somehow I got matched with her and he just sat along watching the show play out, smug and smirking. And at the end, she thanked him for being the one good parent, the one responsible parent, were her words. The one who was really giving a good example to our children after she had lambasted me, making it seem like I was uh, doing all these bad things. When on paper, if she had only thought about it, he moved away from his kids I was doing the meeting from the women's shelter for domestic violence and she said that she actually called it out right when I logged on that I was there and she had to make sure I was in privacy. <sighs> anyway, this whole thing, getting divorced from a man like this, it's ridiculous, it's exhausting and I hate it and I just want the hearing to go through on Friday <laughs> and I'm venting about it because as I started off saying, dear evangelicals, I wish that I could say this to all the people who trapped me in this marriage and then they act like divorce is just this easy thing, like you just tear up the paper and burn it and dance around saying that you're divorced. No, you can't get out of this thing. If someone is cruel and manipulative like this, it feels like I can never get out of the prison that you evangelicals put me in when you put me with this man while you were doing conversion therapy on him. It's so unfair. And as I started with, I don't have the same magical ideas that I could wave God's magic wand with the right words, the declarations, the right prayers, earning enough, fasting about it. That was one, right? I could fast for the rest of the week and 
and I could take communion every day. I could play worship music 24-7. All those things we used to do to twist God's arm and make the breakthrough come. Well, that's dried up now. I do pray, but it doesn't seem the same anymore. I wish right now that I had the security, even if it was a false security, that I could force God to do this or I could control my ex. I could put some kind of a, what would they call it in church? Putting like something over his mouth, putting a muzzle on him. They used to talk about that with people that were doing stuff they didn't like, a spiritual muzzle so that they couldn't hurt anything anymore. Well, now I have to go into work. And this rant made me feel a little better, but I still wish that I had the magic wand. <laughs> I hope that this is the week that I'm getting divorced. <laughs>